Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVM LP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. I'd like to thank Walter Parks for our theme song. Thank you, Walter Parks. WalterParks.com if you're interested in listening to more of Walter's wonderful music. And if you'd like to reach out to me, Nave at JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. Nave at JamesNave.com. And I would like to thank Devin Dial for hosting and managing WPVMF. And Devin, we could not do this without you. I always think about about you every time I get on a, an interview with somebody or a conversation. So thanks so much for holding WPVMFM together. That's WPVMFM.org if you are interested in that. As you know, if you've been listening to this show, I have opportunities to talk to all kinds of people all over the all over the world. And today I am with someone I've only met on Zoom. She is an important person because she's been involved in the selection committee for TEDx Asheville. So those of you who are listening, you may be familiar with the TED Talks, and you may also be familiar with TEDx. The X means that it's a regional TED Talk sponsored by local people, and you will see TEDx Asheville, TEDx Honolulu, TEDx all over the world, TEDx Manila, TEDx Prague, likely. TEDx Asheville. So Stephanie Swepson Twitty is my guest today. And I met Stephanie on a Zoom call with Barry Barton, who's the organizer for the upcoming TEDx Asheville gathering, which I believe happens in February. So when I connected with Stephanie, I was so pleased to hear what she had to say. I thought Stephanie would be a great guest on Twice Five Miles Radio. And so today that's exactly what's happening. Stephanie, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Thank you so much, Nave. I am so excited to be here and looking very much forward to having conversation. Well, that's what it'll be because we kind of figure this out as we go along. I'd like to start with where you live. And the reason I would like to start there is because when I grew up in Asheville in the 1950s and the 60s, I would always go east maybe to Greensboro, down to Chapel Hill, traveling somewhere beyond the mountains, going east, down the Old Fort Mountain. And I remember way back when the Old Fort Mountain would wind us down, and then soon it became I-40, but it still remained the Old Fort Mountain. And often we would drive through Old Fort, which is the town that you are closely associated with. And I remember there was some fountain in the middle of town, an arrowhead, I believe. So I know that you grew up in that area, which was rural and still is really for all that, for, for all that it matters. Let's start by helping us locate ourselves in Old Fort. And the reason I think this is important is because we have so many small towns in America, and so many people come from the small towns. They stay connected to the towns. They love their place. So I would like for you to start our conversation by talking about place and the meaning of place for you and your community. 
old fort. This is a small rural area of about maybe a thousand people. I have been in the area all my life. My parents, one was from far west, uh, Bryson City, Franklin, Murphy, and my dad was from Wilmington, North Carolina. The two of them met in high school and more or less settled in Old Fort, except for a short time when dad sold Durham Life Mutual Insurance and moved us to Winston-Salem, Greensboro, area. In terms of physical location, I'm right at the base of Old Fort Mountain, just as you come off of exit 72, which is the bridge. If you look to your left, there's a brick rancher on a hill there, and that is my home place. Regarding the need to stay connected, as I had a real sense as I was raising my son that small community could offer a benefit that sometimes large community could not, particularly because my family was here, aunts and uncles and cousins. And so when Jason had to cross the street, Jason is my only son who is hearing impaired. And so when he crossed the highway, I didn't have to worry that someone wouldn't be on a porch or in the yard or somewhere watching his every move. He, like me, decided to stay as well because we just felt like we could give the children and the grandchildren a dual world. We could give them that wonderful village experience but we were within traveling distance to Atlanta, where the hub of excitement and metropolitan buzz was. Or we could go to Washington, D.C. or those places that were within traveling distance. So that's a little bit about why I'm here, how I got here. And I'm excited to be here in this moment because we're helping to reimagine what the community will be for the immediate foreseeable future. It's interesting, this conversation about reimagining a smaller town, because my dear friend Arlene Burns is the mayor of Mosier, Oregon. And Mosier is a town of maybe 500 by now. It's never really exceeded more than 500. And it's not a suburb of anything. It's its own proposition there on the Columbia River Gorge. And she has helped her town think way beyond its small population, so much so that she's been invited occasionally to go to these big mayor conferences in Chicago and sit shoulder to shoulder with the, the mayors of the big cities and that sort of thing. So Old Fort is not Mosher, and yet Old Fort is a distinct town with a distinct personality, and it's the gateway north up into the high Appalachian Mountains up toward Mount Mitchell, 6,800 feet above sea level up toward Boone. How are you going to help your community reimagine, and what is it reimagining away from, or what is it reimagining towards? We are reimagining away from having been a uh, heavily invested manufacturing community and town. Up until the late 90s, um, we had about five manufacturing firms here in Old Fort, but that's just about the time that manufacturing went offshore. 
in multiple industries. We were doing textile here in Old Fort, one car manufacturer. As those things went offshore, so went the opportunities for employment here in Old Fort and McDowell County to, to a great extent. Fast forward to reimagining what we discovered as a byproduct, if you will, of COVID is that folks rethought about being in the outdoors. They had a almost a, a awakening, if you will, about being in the outdoors. And, and one of the places that they came was to McDowell County because we have some of the most beautiful trails and outdoor activity areas, Catawba Falls, Mills Gap. Many of these places are just beautiful um, where, as they are situated now. However, the reimagining comes from a partnership that Eagle Market Streets Development Corporation, which is my day job, and Camp Greer have collaborated to build trails along with the U.S. Forestry Service that would be what we call multifunctional. It wouldn't just be bikers and hikers and equestrians. It would be certainly walkability for those who may be uh, enabled uh, differently. With that development of those trails and the maintenance of those trails, Anave also comes this amazing opportunity to have an economy that is driven by outdoor recreation and activities. So that's the big picture, if you will. Interesting, because Old Fort is such a small town, and as I mentioned earlier, I remember driving through it when we were children. Actually, what we did, because we were driving east, we would stop at Old Fort as one of the stop places. Back in the 50s and 60s, the distances were the same. I mean, it was the same from Asheville to Winston-Salem if you were a crow. If you were driving, it was a different proposition. So there were more stops along the way driving. And I think that's one of the reasons we stopped by Old Ford. And now that I think about it, I think maybe my father wanted us to see the arrowhead that was in the middle of the town. So we had to go see the arrowhead. And I believe we did that more than once. So Old Ford, with this new development idea of the outdoor opportunities, would suggest opportunities for people to open a coffee shop would suggest an opportunity for travelers cafe, a cafe for travelers or for outdoor people, perhaps some kind of interesting airstream housing where you put all these funky little trailers around and then everybody comes and they pretend like they've landed in the 1950s or something. I don't know. Is that some of the stuff that you are thinking about in terms of how you would develop that? 100% you're bowling in our alley. We very much see that those who will come and take advantage of our trails and of our outdoor experiences will doubtless want places to stay and places to dine. So our uh, challenge and opportunity is to create that authentic experience for the traveler as they come to Old Fort. And in doing so, we've purchased a piece of real estate here, the Catawba Vale Business Hub, coffee co-working space, a gift shop, some office space for outdoor film and photography, story writing, that sort of thing. A little film colony maybe might sprout up in Old Fort, perhaps. How are you offering 
incentives to entrepreneurs who would like to come to Old Fort. If I'm interested in coming in, opening a coffee shop, do I just show up and find a place to rent and put in an espresso machine and say, here's your latte? What, what, how does this work? A couple of ways that one might approach that. Graybeard Realty has their finger on the pulse of most uh, property here that would be either commercial or residential. There's also Eagle Market Street's Community Development Corporation. Our main purpose is to develop businesses. And so you might reach out to us through our website. And then finally, there's an amazing community partner. Parker Legwear is a landholder and property owner here in town who has much of their property for lease or purchase. What kind of housing market do you have there now? I know in Taos, the prices are going up. In Asheville, the prices are going up. When you and I grew up way back when, the, the farmhouses and the little town downtown buildings were not that expensive. We could, Some people, you know, people could afford them. What about now? What's going on with the real estate and the prices? Are people coming in in droves to Old Fort? It's a bit of a mixture because on the periphery of Old Fort is this amazing sprawl of very pricey housing. As you come into the township itself, you will find less and less of that, and you'll find less and less availability. So part of our reimagining also involves doing what we call in my industry mixed-use development meaning that you're developing your housing to complement your business and you're developing the business to complement the housing. We've just found over time that um, to build one exclusive to the other isn't smart growth. The housing that we would build would be 80 to 90% low to moderate income housing, Nave, to attract workforce development folk, as well as others who have better capacity to pay a higher price. What about the people who work in the area? What kind of working opportunities are there? So right now, we've just been fortunate enough to have Kitsbow. They make high-end uh, outdoor apparel. They moved here expressly because of the terrain and the outdoor opportunities that we have. Kitsbow uh, is one of the more prolific employers here in town. That's interesting because the reason I'm tracking this a bit is because these small towns all over America are trying to figure out how to keep themselves engaged and many are succeeding. Asheville is the hub for all of Western North Carolina, which must be at least a million people. I mean, you would know more of the population than I would, but so it's a huge, huge place. With that in mind, I'm curious, the name Eagle Street Market, where is Eagle Street? Why do you have Eagle Street? Is it because you have eagles flying around Old Fort? <laughs> and they're, they're landing in town. You, or you, you Don't tell me you have a bunch of eagles living behind the arrowhead with the fountain. Eagle Market Streets Development Corporation sprang out of the African-American community more specific Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church's desire to maintain properties in the oldest thriving African-American commercial business district in the country. I'm sure that 
there is some colloquial tie to why they named it Eagle Market Streets. Uh, Dr. Grant and his trustees and congregants, um, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, had a desire to ensure that the last little piece of commercial real estate and footprint that was owned by a community of color prior to the urban renewal would remain with the community. And so that's how we got to be Eagle. Often they talked about the Eagle as being a currency. So the Eagle flew in the Eagle Market Streets District because there were 72 conventional residences and 50 small businesses prior to urban renewal. So this area you're talking about would be the Asheville area, the Eagle Street area of Asheville. Now, Eagle has also expanded itself, as I said a minute ago, to have real property here in Old Fort as well. So Eagle Market Streets is named after this thriving business district in downtown Asheville. Now, for those folks listening, Old Fort's really not part of Asheville, and yet I remember when I was growing up, and even now, I think of Old Fort as the last point before you're out of the Asheville area. So in a sense, Old Fort is part of Asheville. The Eagle Street area, when I was growing up, was a thriving business district. Tell us more about what that was like back when it was thriving, because most people who live there now remember it likely likely as a very thriving place it's changed dramatically since then so what was it like way back in the day when things were thriving so my best personal remembrances are again right about the mid to late 70s and then again in the in the late 90s And so I remember a hairdresser, I remember the shoe repair guy, there was a cleaners in the area, certainly a barber, food sources that were culturally sensitive. Miss George's fish was absolutely to die for, and it was simple, fair a piece of fried fish on white bread and some coleslaw, and you thought you'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, it was just that kind of experience. And those are the types of businesses that were really thriving right up until probably the mid to the to the late 90s, uh, Nabe, when a new generation emerged of children and nieces and nephews who really had no desire to hold on to those types of things, along with the area being totally disenfranchised from the city. So if you would walk down Biltmore, you would see that improvements were being made on the sidewalks and the roads and things were blooming there. You would walk less than a block over to Eagle Market Streets and find utter deprivation. I remember they built a road through that neighborhood. There was Feldman's Grocery Store down there for a while, Mm -hmm, I think. mm -hmm. A woman named Andrea Clark, who's a photographer, invited me to come down to her grandfather's house and learn how to cane. She taught me how to cane chairs. And we sat for two weeks, maybe 
I went down there every day and we would soak the cane in the hot water. And then she showed me how to stretch it out. And, and then she was caning for a part of her living. People treasured her caned chairs so to work on her chairs. And she did teach me how to cane. And I was able to actually put seat bottoms in a chair the old fashioned way. Now, I couldn't do that now to save my. So there were lots of ways to go about caning the chairs. And we had to be very careful not to cut our fingers because the cane was sharp. So I remember some of that community. And then I do remember how Asheville got traction and how that community started to change. And now it's a whole different scene down there. Tell us what it's like down there now. Quite a bit of gentrification. The Hilton Hotel, 55 South. 55 South is a high-end condominium housing with the completion of the Eagle Marketplace project, which is low to moderate housing with commercial real estate space. We finished up in 2019 with that project. We returned to the district about 15 to 20 small businesses that are predominantly uh, African-American owned or, or led. There's Soul 82, that's a sneaker shop. Sandra Kilgore has her realty office in the area. Uh, certainly Eagle Market Streets maintains its corporate offices in the area. Mount Zion Church remains there as one of the oldest African-American churches, not only in the district, but in the township. Um, and the YMI. And between Eagle Market Streets, the church and the YMI, the footprint is pretty significant. While it's not the 1950s and the bustling of 50 businesses and 72 residences, it still holds a significant interest for the community of color. And people often refer to that as the block, I believe. That's correct. That's correct. Why, the, why do they call it the block? We got reduced through urban renewal to a block interest that, that was still held and owned by people of color. Well, if the block was a designated name for the African-American business community, I imagine it was also a way of people identifying that location for them when they arrived in town as well. I, I'd like to go to the block, I would imagine people would say, and then they would go take a right, take a left, and there you are. So exactly. that, that's possibly as exactly. well. Yeah, the district originally encompassed Eagle, South Market, what's now known as Charlotte Street, the East End, which is where MLK and Stevens Lee School is, all the way out to the South Slope and included in Shiloh, directly across from Biltmore Forest. So it was this huge piece of land holdings that got reduced to a block. For people listening who are not familiar with Asheville, you are referencing probably eight to 10 miles from this, the northern part of Asheville on Charlotte Street, all the way beyond what would be called Biltmore. And this is a wide stretch of land. It's good that the block, uh, the Eagle Street area is now back and thriving. I know Leaf Global Arts has its corporate center there. And so things are, are happening again. I guess this is just the nature of towns. They fold in, fold out, expand, contract. We're talking about people thriving in communities like Old Fort or Asheville or Taos. And they move forward. They love the places they, they live in, which brings me around to how I got to know you. You're working with Barry Barton on the TED 
X Asheville project. Barry also asked me to be on the committee and I helped you and Barry choose the upcoming speakers. So tell us a bit about TEDx Asheville, the, the new version of it. I know it's been through ups and downs, expanded and contracted, but it didn't die. It's now very much alive thanks to the work you and Barry and some of the other folks do. So tell people about TEDx Asheville. Working alongside Barry Barton is both a, a privilege and, and a joy. To your point, uh, TEDx Asheville sat out a, a year or so uh, to, to restructure itself. Talk about reimagining. I think that when folks see the next TEDx Asheville talks, they are just going to be blown away. I know when I did the TEDx Asheville talk, my subject was the imaginative storm. Funny enough, I'm still doing imaginative storm writing work right now. Every Saturday morning, I gather with a group of people on Zoom and we write. And so I did a talk about the imaginative storm and my other experience with TEDx is TEDx New York salons. And I was on the organizing committee for, I guess, five, six years. And we organized an event every Friday. We would show a video and invite New Yorkers by way of online um, advertising to come and be part of our group. So we would usually have between 30 and sometimes 60, 70 people show up. It was all free, all volunteer. We'd show a video and then we would sit in a circle and discuss the video with all of these folks from New York. And it was interesting because we would have tourists from out of town. We would have regulars who came and felt like it was their church. We would have folks that popped in and they wanted to just see what it was like. We occasionally had somebody who wanted to give a TED talk. And the only reason they were there was because they wanted to give a TED talk. And they would come to me early in the evening and I would be moving the chairs around and they would treat me like I was the chair moving guy, the helper. They thought I might have an insight. I said, well, you know, the best way that you could really give a TED talk if you really want to do that is you could help me move chairs which was a, a code for you could be part of the community. You start folding chairs, we're going to be glad to have you around. But often they would drift away and go, oh, oh, no, no, that's okay. I, I'll go find the person I need to talk to who's in charge. So it was always <laughs> funny after we gathered and everybody sat down and I stood up and welcomed people to the TED Talk. And they realized I was one of the facilitators. And so I, I got a big <laughs> kick out of that. And all they had to do was say, yeah, sure, I'll move the chairs. We had lots and lots of opportunities to watch the videos. A few people who talked on the videos, a few TED speakers would come by and maybe host one of the videos they had offered. But we just picked stuff that we liked and, and we talked about it. So that was what TED was about for, for me. So the speakers that we have now, and I say we because I was part of that, we have a number of people who are going to do really interesting TED Talks. And the one that sticks out for me is the young woman who plans to do the talk about the bear bridges across the interstates and the animal bridges. I think that's just really interesting. And she was so excited about it. We're going to build bridges for the animals. Maybe I'm a softy, but I like that. What about you? Some of the TED Talkers that stand out for you in the upcoming time? 
The, the one that's most prominent in my mind, and that's the young woman that's doing the language, how language is transforming. Uh, the other one uh, is the young man that's talking about don't take the exit ramp. I am interested in seeing how he develops that talk um, to continue to remind us that whenever we are being judgmental or we're being dismissive, that we're actually taking the exit on people. So those are two of my my favorites, not they? Well, I like the idea of the exit ramp. That guy has tons and tons of charisma. He's he's very excited about his topic. I have to say he lights up when he starts to talk about the exit exactly. ramp idea. And I think it's a provocative notion, this idea of not taking the exit ramp. It also connects to the notion of walking the fence, to the idea of planting the flag. Mm-hmm. And I know in my own personal life, I've often walked the fence for some reason, not willing to step off and say, this is my spot right here. This is where I'm going to put my flag and have my little tent or whatever it is I'm going to build in the, in the field. And implied in not taking the exit ramp, of course, is the idea of courage. How willing are you to stick with the conversation? you're having with somebody else or stick with the hard stuff of a marriage or the hard stuff of a relationship or the hard questions that you actually have to ask yourself. I'm thinking now the idea of not taking the exit ramp also applies to us personally. How often have I taken the exit ramp, made that creative U-turn, zipped off the highway and hit out behind the convenience store because I just didn't feel like driving any further in the metaphorical storm that was coming up over the horizon. So the exit ramp can apply in many ways. Have there been times in your life when you've walked the fence or taken the exit ramp and wished you had gone forward into the storm? Absolutely. Um, And more in the season that I find myself now than, than ever before. I've always been a little bit of a risk taker. Certainly at 18 to 38, I, I was much more courageous than I am at 67. Courage at 67 looks different. I, I still feel like I have courage. I just have salted it with some ability to be able to pick and choose my battles. And so when I think about taking the exit, there there is a season that we are in right now that calls for you and I to be in community with each other. And, we, and to do that, it also causes us to build a bridge of trust. And building trust is a lifelong thing sometimes. In the physical sense, we could erect a bridge and six, eight months, maybe a year. In relational bridge building, It's a lifetime of you uh, being willing to hear from me, me being willing to hear from you, the both of us finding our pitch points where we can say, ouch, that really didn't land the way that I am comfortable. And so to me, when I think about not taking the exit, I think about leaning in to relationship where it's difficult. And certainly, if we just call the elephant in the room, where European Americans and, and African Americans are trying to reconcile if their relationships and the way they've been socialized 
it really calls for us not to be stereotypical in our thinking. It calls for us to not be too guarded in our approach so that, again, when we hit a pinch point, that we're able to say that and say it in such a way that we still end up respecting each other when when all is said and done. At 68, having a different version of courage, how are you able to apply your mature courage to developing the kind of bridges between the African-American community that you grew up in and the Old Fort community and, and the, the, the Anglo-European community? What kind of wisdom do you bring to the table now that you didn't have when you were 27? Most of my uh, education and socialization from 18 to, to about 38 was heavily peppered with what my parents had taught me and what I had learned of the needs of aunts and uncles, how African-Americans place uh, would be in the world and in the community. At 67, I understand that people of color, it is a global community that we find ourselves. It's not just the Baptist side folk in Old Fort uh, and the Cherry Springs folk in Old Fort. It is this whole global notion. So I look to them them being the global world to uh, feed me, if you will, around how to be socialized now, Nabe. Uh, I will also say more to your point about courage. There was a time when I took a seat at the table because I was needed to be at the table to have the table be diverse. My seat at the table now, most times I choose because it's an equitable way to be in community, to be in society, and to be included. That is where I feel most confident, most my authentic self is where I know I'm sitting at a table or I'm sitting in a community because equitably I should be there. Do you think your 67-year-old self is what is giving you the maturity to see the global view of humanity with its spectrum of colors going in every direction you can imagine. And does that help you feel like you have the currency, the agency to have that equitability? Absolutely. Uh, you recaptured that beautifully. Uh, 100%. I think that recognizing that you are not an enigma. You are not um, a small number, but but more of a large number in the global world. We have begun to recognize that community counts all of us. Um, I hasten very quickly to to scripture that says that the thumb can't say to the eye, "I'm not a part of you." And so I think that's where we are in in uh, America and and globally right now. We can't say to Africa or to Asia that you're not a part of us because we all need that. And people of color encompass a great deal of that community. So yeah. And I know that our time is running short because you have another appointment coming up very soon. So in closing, you you reference scripture, you reference the church in Asheville. May I assume that you have a, a deep faith and you draw on that? Is that possible? 100%. I was sprinkled when I was a babe. My father was Methodist. Later in life, around school age, 
my mother introduced me to Baptist theology. And I like to tell people that I'm a practicing Christian. I don't have a specific denomination anymore that I'm leaning to. I think that the best, most thoughtful good for the greatest majority is how we really follow Christ in, in our lives. So, Well, Stephanie Swepson Twitty, thank you so much for <laughs> allowing me to get to know you better. Thank you for sharing your Old Fort community with us, your ideas around Asheville and how it's grown and the TED, TED event that's coming up. And, and then thank you for bringing the, the spectrum of a global context. You there in the little town of Old Fort, center of the world and everywhere anyone is listening to this show, they too are in the center of the world because they're placed on the globe with all the rest of us. Awesome. Thank you so very much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure this morning, and I look forward to us having future talks. Well, we'll we'll check back in. You can be a guest right. again. Thank you so very much. There you go, my friends. That concludes my conversation with Stephanie Swepson Twitty. I'm sorry she had to leave us for another appointment. That said, I have a bit of time before the top of the hour. And with that in mind, I'd like to use our time together to build out some ideas around how you might give a TED Talk or any other kind of talk for that matter. As you may recall, earlier in my conversation with Stephanie, I mentioned that she and I were part of the selection committee for TEDx Asheville, which is coming up very soon. Barry Barton, who is now the director of TEDx Asheville, had a very rigorous selection process which required people who were interested in giving a TED Talk, required them to submit an application then the selection committee, I was on it, of course. We went through all of the applications and pulled the ones out we felt like would fit into the theme of TEDx Asheville this year, which is building bridges. We ended up with 16 possibilities and asked all 16 people to submit a video to give us a better idea of where they might go with their TED Talk. And from the 16, we trimmed it down to nine people. So now we have nine people ready to start working on their TED Talks, trying to figure out how to present their material. You probably already know that the purpose of each TEDx Talk or each TED Talk is to present ideas within a 15-minute TED Talk that are worth spreading, worth telling people about. And what makes an idea spreadable, if you will, it has to be useful, it has to be easily copied, and it has to fall into a fertile environment. Take, for example, the idea of a spoon. You wouldn't think of that as a brilliant, fantastic idea worth spreading. And yet, when you pause for a moment and consider the spoon, the idea of the spoon, it's a remarkable idea, really. Somebody thought of it somewhere along the way. Clearly, the idea of the spoon is a useful idea. It's a lot easier to eat soup with a spoon than without a spoon. Certainly, it's easily copied. You can make a spoon. You can carve a spoon out of a piece of wood. And the environment is fertile. Everybody uses spoons, or almost everybody, for sugar. You use spoons for your soup. You use spoons to stir your coffee. You use spoons to, to measure ingredients, and on and on it goes. So the spoon is an idea 
that's worth spreading. And it's an idea that endures because its usefulness is very important to us on an everyday basis. And when you look around your environment, you'll see lots of ordinary objects that were great ideas that still remain useful. The clock, the water bottle, your mattress, your pillows, the list goes on and on and on. Everything around you was a good idea at one time. And from that idea, it emerged as an object you use every day. So the people who are giving their TEDx Asheville talks will be offering up ideas that they've been working with. For example, in her TEDx Asheville talk, Nikki Robinson's going to offer the idea of building bridges across busy roads so animals can cross over and maintain the ancient animal paths they've traveled for hundreds and hundreds of years. And while the idea of building a bridge over an interstate certainly requires more people, when you think about it, the idea of building a bridge and carving a spoon out of a piece of wood, it's about the same. The bridge takes the animals over. The spoon allows you to eat the soup. You can carve the spoon on your own. You and a community of people can build a bridge across an interstate and make way for the animals to continue the lives they've always lived. So both ideas, the spoon and the bridge, are simple, useful, easily copied, and fall on fertile ground. And the goal of her TED Talk is really simple. She wants to get people to support the idea of building bridges across highways so animals will survive. And Nikki's call to action and idea worth spreading is really simple. Slow down and watch for wildlife. So Nikki's working on her talk right now, and when she finally gets it together, I'm sure it will be dynamic, it will be simple, and a talk everyone will enjoy. Plus, a talk with plenty of takeaways, like slow down and watch for wildlife. I mentioned I was going to give you an idea of how you could put together a TED Talk for yourself. So first of all, you have to ask, do I have an idea other people will find useful, simple, and valuable for their lives. For example, Nikki's idea of building bridges across busy roads so wildlife can survive. It's an idea we can easily understand, get behind, and certainly support in all kinds of ways. On the other hand, if Nikki had proposed an idea like Save the Animals of the World as her TEDx Asheville talk, it probably wouldn't have gotten as much traction. So when you are thinking of how to develop your idea, figure out how to narrow it so that everyone can understand how they can apply what you are offering in their own lives. Saving all the animals in the world is a great idea. It's very difficult for me to get my head around. How would I do that? But building a bridge to help the animals across, I can get behind that. It's really similar to offering a helping hand to your neighbor. Your hand reaching out to another hand in need is easy to understand. Your hand reaching out to all the hands in need all over the world, while I get the concept, it's difficult for me to see how that would be as useful as one hand touching another hand, a neighbor's hand, somebody nearby, somebody up close you can help. Once you narrow your talk to an idea you feel like will work for the people who hear it, the people you give it to, the gift, the people you share it with, then you have to start working on 
the content you're going to put within the time frame, which is 15 minutes. 15 minutes may seem like a long time if you've never given a talk. I can tell you 15 minutes goes by really fast once you're on the stage. This is especially true once you prepare your talk so you're feeling confident and comfortable about presenting it. You've timed your talk. You know exactly how long it lasts. You have your slides together. You've rehearsed over and over and over again. You've even maybe asked people to help you or even hired a director to help you with it. All of that's perfectly fine and absolutely necessary in order to make what you are offering to your audience a wonderful gift that turns into a relationship between you on the stage and the people sitting there in front of you taking in whatever ideas that you have to offer. The best way to organize your talk is to write out all of the ideas that you have within the context of the, the bigger idea that you're going to offer. A lot of people I know like to write their ideas on index cards, put them out on the table, and just look at them, a bit like the investigators on television in the true crime stories. They put all the all the investigative material up on the big board and they tie strings to it and you look at it and finally the case falls into place and they solve the problem or they solve the case because they've been looking at all of these elements that don't necessarily fit together and yet when you get them all up there they do actually work themselves out and you can fit them together in a narrative so you can do that with your elements on the table in front of you. All those little ideas, put them together and toss them out there and then step back and just pay attention and see what emerges. You can be fairly sure that what you have in front of you on the table, if you put it all together in a talk, would take up a lot more than 15 minutes. Don't worry about that. Just put everything out and then you can trim it down later. While trimming down all that content might seem a bit daunting, it's actually kind of fun when you start to work with it. Here's one important thing for you to remember when you are developing your TED Talk or any other presentation for that matter. The time frame. How much time do you have to give your talk? Very seldom will you have an open-ended time frame. Time frames can run from two minutes to an hour. Most time frames usually fall between 10 and 15 minutes, 15 minutes being the TEDx Asheville time frame. Here's one of the most important things to remember about time frames when you're preparing your talk. If you have 15 minutes, prepare for 12. If you have 30 minutes, prepare for 25 minutes. This is important because if you try to cram a massive amount of content into a 15-minute time frame, you will recreate a sense of hurry for yourself and for your audience, and likely you will go over time. On the other hand, if you prepare for 12 minutes, within your 15-minute time frame, you can take your time walking out. When you talk to your audience, you can slow down. You can pause for laughs. If people happen to clap when you say something, you can pause and let them clap. So even though you've prepared 12 minutes of content, you will definitely use up the other three minutes with the unexpected things that always happen when you walk out on a stage. And even if you don't use your full 15 minutes and say you close it at 13 minutes and 30 seconds, that's fine. Your audience will be happy that you gave them an easy presentation. What's a minute and a half? 
when you can have ease and stickiness and a little bit of fun on stage with not all that much stress. As you're listening to this, you may be thinking, wow, Nave really knows what he's talking about. I'll bet he never makes mistakes like that. Well, actually, I make those mistakes less now than I once did. That said, a few years ago, I actually almost made the mistake of packing too much content within a time frame. I was invited to give an opening talk, two minutes, mind you, at the Oklahoma Creativity Conference. A woman named Susan McCalmont invited me to come, and she wanted me to open the whole conference with a poem. Now, I had a little pressure on me because the keynote speaker was a fellow named Sir Ken Robinson. His name might ring a bell because if you've ever watched any TED Talks, you probably came across his talk, which currently has 78 million views. Sadly, Sir Ken Robinson passed away August 2020. A big loss to the educational community, to be sure. So, going back to my little two-minute section before Sir Ken Robinson came out to give his keynote speech, when Susan McCallman asked me to prepare something for that two minutes, I did what so many people do. I wanted to give my best poem. I wanted to fill the entire two minutes with my content so that Sir Ken Robinson would notice me and the other people in the conference would see how smart and clever and good I was. Well, as you've probably already figured out, that was definitely the wrong approach. And I was stressed about it. I even put together two minutes worth of material and sent the material to Susan. And she sent a very nice note back saying, do you think you might be able to trim this down? With all the years of experience I'd had on stage, you would think I would know better. But I was a bit smitten by Sir Ken Robinson and the big arena and wanted to make an impression. I was really getting ready to make the wrong impression. Fortunately, I caught myself. So what did I do instead? Well, I started thinking, what if I put 20 seconds worth of content into my two-minute time frame rather than filling it up with two minutes worth of content. The moment the idea occurred to me, I relaxed. I thought, wow, 20 seconds, that's not so hard to do. And gosh, I'll have all that extra time left over within my two minutes. And then I thought, well, I don't really have to put something I wrote in the two minutes. I can include some other verse, something else somebody else wrote. The whole point of the two-minute opening is to get the room smoothed out, get the folks ready for the day, welcome them to the conference, and, and make way for Sir Ken Robinson. What I put in the content does not have to be mine. It can be somebody else's. The moment I stopped thinking about myself and started thinking about the audience was the moment when I figured out the approach I wanted to take and how I wanted to go about using the two minutes to serve the event rather than serve myself. That's the key to your TED Talk. You're serving your audience. And in serving your audience, you serve yourself. 
you become, if you will, the, the vessel, the delivery system, the bridge, actually, that the people are able to go across to the other side, just like Nikki's animals, walking across the bridge of a busy highway. I had just the piece of verse I wanted to use. It was written by Charles Wright, and I knew about it because it was in one of my favorite poems titled Lonesome Pine Special, which is a long narrative poem about landscapes. The piece of verse I wanted to use, as I said, was very short, and I could repeat it twice and still have plenty of time to spare. So on the morning of the opening of the Creativity Conference, I was feeling pretty relaxed, as you might imagine. Uh, the crew mic'd me up. Nine o'clock arrived, the opening of the conference, and I walked out on the stage and felt really easy. No hurry. Take my time. And I took the place I was supposed to take. It was marked with an X on the stage, so I knew exactly where I was going to stand. And I looked up at the audience and said, Good morning. Thank you for coming to the Oklahoma Creativity Conference. Welcome. I'd like to ask you a question. What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments when something is given back you didn't know you had had in solitude, spontaneously, and with great joy? Let me ask you that question one more time. What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments when something is given back you didn't know you had had in solitude, spontaneously, and with great joy? That piece was written by Charles Wright from his poem, The Lonesome Pine Special. Thank you ever so much for coming to the Oklahoma Creativity Conference. I believe the operative word for today is joy. Thank you very much. And with that, I turned around, took my time, and walked off. And I'd been out there a total of a minute and 45 seconds, which pleased the backstage crew because they had 15 seconds to spare. And Sir Ken Robinson came out, gave his talk, and I went on my merry way. And to this day, I've felt completely satisfied with the choices I made for that little two-minute time frame. So when you are organizing your work, your talk, remember the 15-minute time frame, the 10 minutes or the two minutes as I had, that's there for you to use, for you to paint whatever canvas you would like to paint within your allotted time frame. You really don't have to pack it. You can make room Take it easy. Give the folks something they can relax into and enjoy. And finally, here's one little voice projection tip you might be able to use. When you speak, if you let your voice ride on your breath coming up from your stomach deeper in your body and allow your voice to not only ride on your breath, allow your voice to vibrate your head and it's easy to tell if your head is vibrating. All you have to do is put your hands on your head and say some words, read a sentence. And if your head is vibrating like mine is right now, you can be sure even if you're speaking in a quiet voice, people nearby and even a little further away can hear you. Less stress, more voice projection. So hands on head 
and see if your head is vibrating. And if it is, you can be sure people can hear you. And even though I'm talking into a mic, I'm still vibrating my head. And that's what makes one's voice have a resonance. So avoid speaking from the throat. Let the voice rise up on your breath and let your head vibrate. And from that point on, you can be sure you will be heard by all those in the room. And well, my friends, we've arrived at the top of our hour. Thank you, Stephanie Swepson Twitty, for being with us on this show. I really do appreciate your insight and especially all your little stories about Old Fort, North Carolina. I am so pleased to be associated with that arrowhead in the middle of the town square. And on that note, thank you for listening to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. We're always broadcasting first on WPVM LP, Asheville 103.7, and streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thanks, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in Walter's music. If you'd like to reach out to me, JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. That's my website. You can reach me through my website or Nave at JamesNave.com. That's my email. You can reach me through the email as well. Thank you, Davine Dial, for holding all of this together for us. We really, really do appreciate it. WPVMFM.org if you'd like to know more about the radio station in Asheville, North Carolina. If you'd like to join me for an Imaginative Storm writing session any Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon Eastern Time, I gather with a great group of writers along with my collaborative writing partner, Allegra Houston, and we do an hour on Zoom. Very easy. You can find the the link for that at imaginativestorm.com. It's at the top of the fold. Once again, thanks ever so much for tuning into Twice Five Miles Radio. I do hope you tune in again next time. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.